Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. And you just need some tough love because starting a business is a is a beautiful, incredible endeavor, but it's also a grueling and tiresome and exhausting and thankless pursuit. So you need to just make sure that what you're gonna do has got the best chances of success. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital media innovation. This time around, I have a different sort of interview. I talked to Brian McMahon. He's the founder of Expert Dojo, which is an online expertise network and educational facility for entrepreneurs to learn how to start their own company. I thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody about entrepreneurship. It's something that has sort of come up at various times in the podcast. People who come up with a great idea about you know, some journalism project, starting an online publication or something, but they don't know how to launch a business. And, uh, you know, that's something that Brian helps people do. He reached out to me uh, online and we had a conversation over the phone and he seemed like somebody that had, had something interesting to say for people who just don't have a lot of experience starting their own business. So, like I said, it's a different sort of uh, podcast, uh, but I think you're going to find it really fun. Enjoy. Now, how, do, how would you describe Expert Dojo? It's an early stage training academy for entrepreneurs. So the idea is that you know, right at the very beginning, most entrepreneurs have no idea what we are doing. None of us. We start off with an idea and a concept or a dream or a vision or, or something that's going to change the world. But we don't know how to do it because nothing has trained us to be prepared for entrepreneurship. Nothing in school. For most of us, unless somebody's done an MBA, colleges haven't prepared us for it. So we kind of arrive in this place where we understand that what success looks like, because we've seen all of the movies, and we understand what a great idea looks like sometimes. But we don't understand how do you set up the legal? What does a good foundation look like? What, what's the difference between a product and a brand? How should a company set themselves up for success from a marketing perspective, and everything else that goes with starting your own business. You're, you're a team of 10 people in a body of one. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how uninformed most people are about the things that equate to, well, business success or just, you know, financial success, uh, success of a business or a project. They, they're pretty good about coming up maybe with ideas and sort of defining what their own skills are, but they don't they don't know how to translate that into something. It's a, yeah. it's a whole different skill set. And it's really, it's really sad because so many people fail. The, the failure rate within tech entrepreneurship is somewhere between 95 96% and 98 99%. So of every, it's nothing like the glory that, that we read about or that we hear about of everybody becoming Steve Jobs or everybody becoming somebody in Facebook. It's mainly about people who take their life savings or they'll take fifty or $100,000 and they'll invest it into their app or their website or their tech company and then they will lose all that money and then they'll spend another six or 12 months driving an Uber hoping that they can get it back a little bit and then they'll just end up decimated. 
and somehow failure has been glorified into something which is good, which it's not. Failure is not a good thing. Learning is a good thing. Failure is not a good thing. You know, losing your house is not, nothing glamorous about it. You know, losing your family, nothing good about those things either. So we just look, we just want to prepare early stage entrepreneurs for the rules of the game, for how it's played, for who the players are, for all of the people who will try and take your money when you start, for how to make sure that you're, you have at least a small amount of prepared knowledge on what's going to make you successful. And really what, what the structure looks like, because this would be the hardest thing most people will have done in their entire lives. Yeah. The reason I wanted to talk to you and the podcast I do is is about journalism. And, and you know, first, you're, you're not a journalist, but you work with creative people, many of whom may have not had experiences or an entrepreneur. Maybe they develop an app or a website or a news service or even a podcast. But because they don't think like an entrepreneur or a business person, then they probably don't know where to go and where to go next. So you know, how should people proceed to be to become more knowledgeable of, of entrepreneuring? No, and look, and I see this not just here every day. I see it at home every day. My wife's a TV host and, and she has lots and lots and lots of viewers. But that, that puts her firmly into the place of most journalists, which is a creative. And the thing about most of us is we fit into a couple of buckets that we're, we're really comfortable in and we like what we do. And creative is one of those buckets and biz dev or business development is another one of those buckets. But they're generally separate buckets. Like the people who are great at creative normally hate going out and telling everybody about how amazing they are. And they hate doing marketing channels and they hate almost cheapening the beauty of the creation by going out and selling their soul. While the business development people normally create something far less worthy and are very happy going out there all day, every day talking about it, but the actual substance of the creation is way weaker than it could be. Mm. So it comes from, we all have our challenges, whether it's the journalist, whether it's anything else, and we all are exactly the same. I don't see any difference between a tech entrepreneur, a journalist, my wife who, do, who, who does a TV show, which is a self-employed job are anyone who's doing a green, sustainable business, or even anybody in a shop. We all have to understand there's a sequence of events that we need to follow to give us an opportunity of success. And the very, very, very first one is market validation. And the market validation is going to tell us if this is going to be just an amazing hobby that we love, which is brilliant, or whether it's going to be something which people are actually going to find enough value in that they're prepared to pay money for it. And if they are, how much are they actually going to pay? You have to start it there. Well, how do we start with that? That, that we have a, we have an idea, we have an app, that, a news app. We think this is going to be really innovative and that a lot of people are going to like. Where do I go? What do I do? Um, how do I reach out and contact these people who are going to tell me whether it's something worthy or not? So the first thing you have to realize is, and I, I don't know if it's an Irish thing or what, but... I have this cold dose of, of realism that hits me every single time that I want to do anything. So the first thing you have to realize is if we talk about an app, we have to say, look, on our phones right now, there's maybe 20, 25 apps on anybody's phones. But there are about 2,000 to 3,000 apps which are created every single day right now. So what's happening to all those apps? Most of them are not going on to our phones. So to get an app onto someone's phone, we need to make sure that there is tremendous value. 
And for there to be tremendous value, we have to make sure that we're solving a problem. And if we're solving a problem, the problem that we're solving can be quantified to the stage that actually people will be able to do it. So what's the, so that's the first thing is it's the mentally inside is realizing that just because we have something which we think is really cool, it doesn't mean that it's solving a problem for other people. We have to test, check that it's actually solving a problem for people. So for example, if my app was a news feed about the election, I would not want to go and ask my mom about it. I wouldn't want to go and ask my friends and family about it. I wouldn't want to go and ask anybody I know. I would want to find 15 or 20 random strangers who are the demographic that I feel is my best branding demographic. So i.e., at Expert Dojo, our best demographic is 38 to 44-year-old women. We love 38 to 44-year-old women. Now, we didn't know that was our best demographic at the start. We thought it was going to be 20-year-old kids who were coming out to start their first business. But they don't need us because they already know everything there is to know in the world. Now, I'm generalizing a little bit. But what we found was that with the 38 to 44-year-old women, they would walk in and say, look, we're going to fail because we don't know this, 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 and this. And we would go, oh, my God, this is wonderful. We have our perfect low-hanging fruit client. We can still work and will work and do work with everybody else. But our low-hanging fruit client is the client who needs us most. So the first thing we have to do with that news app is find out the people who most care about the content that we're going to put up there. So maybe what this app is going to do is it's going to tell us of a certain opinion that Donald Trump has versus a certain opinion that Bernie Saunders has versus a certain opinion that Hillary Clinton has. And maybe the app is, 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 is focused on Democratic voters, so Democratic voters can see the favoritism of everybody based on Bernie versus Hillary, so when they end up getting into the fight against Donald, who's going to be better positioned to do? Maybe that's the value proposition that we feel that we have within the app that we've created. So now that we know that hypothesis, we now have to go out to the market and say, okay, eight or 10 random democratic 40 something year old strangers who all have apps on your phones and are all fit into our, our, our perfect audience because we know you use apps. We know you like news. We know you follow the elections. We know you really care about who's going to win. I want to just sit down with you. And by the way, I'm not going to pay you to sit down because you're a friend of a friend of a friend and you're another person who knows and you're another person here. I'm just going to buy you dinner and I'm going to ask for your time over two hours. And then I'm going to not ask yes, no questions. I'm not going to say, what do, you, do you like this app? Do you think it would really help? I'm going to hand them a wireframe. I'm not even going to build the app because that's too expensive. I'll either do one or two things. If I know something about the internet or something about coding, I will build a very quick Squarespace site. So Squarespace is just a very simple site to build. And like a non-developer dummy like me could build it. So I'm going to build it. And I'm just going to put it in front of each person. Or maybe I'm going to say, go onto it in your phones. And I'm going to say, just go at it. I'm not going to tell them what to do. I'm not going to give them instructions. I'm just going to say, go at it. Let's say I can't build the site. Then I'm going to say, okay, here's the general concept of how it works. I would like you to tell me how it can work better for you. And that opens up the entire conversation for me to get to a place that I can find out the next stage, 
which is my product fit. And my product fit is how that relates to what my perfect audience is going to want is going to need from it. Does this make sense so yeah. far? Yeah, it does. I know that a lot of people that they think very broadly. That, oh, I got to I got to create something that's going to get as many people as I can, but but in actuality to sort of define that group that that really is your core and then find out what their desires and needs are and then address those needs because if you if you're too busy like with with a shotgun blast trying to get everybody, you're not going to easily identify how you can make yourself successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a great friend and coach who works with us here, Ryan Foland. And Ryan Foland has this saying, which is, look, I don't care what you do if it's not solving a problem. And I don't care about that problem if it's not solving a problem that I have. Don't go for the world. Don't go for everyone. Everyone is not going to go for you. These, these viral companies that have gone all over the world and have been adopted by everybody, they're not viral. Most of these had so much venture money put into them that they became massive because they were always going to be massive. It's amazing what you can do with $2.3 billion and your company trying to take out taxis. So when you're in a place like that, you need to make sure that you're really on top of trying to find that who's the perfect democratic audience to actually take care of you. Do you, do you have something you got to solve there? Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, totally okay. good. Yeah, okay. totally good. No, you've got to make sure you're the, you've got the audience that are actually for you. Break it down to the smallest possible audience because we don't have millions of dollars of venture capital to put into it. We only have ourselves, we have our idea, and we have the people's whose problem we're trying to solve. Okay, so I, I, I meet with this group of people, they give me feedback, I go back to the drawing board and I take a look at my app and say, I'm gonna change this up because this is what they tell me is going to be the most useful to them. And I develop something or I update something that is better. Do they, then do I take it to another group or then do I, you know, where do I go from that point? So it depends very much on what you're trying to achieve with the problem that you have. So I'll give you a great example. In Expert Dojo, I, the way that we approached it when we started off was we said to people, hey, do you feel that there's more education needed in entrepreneurship? So we just gave them a couple of yes, no questions first. And then we kind of got people in the mood and then said, okay, so tell us if you were going to create a program which was going to help you in the areas that you needed help, then what would you create? And then people came up with training and courses and coaching and everything else. And then we said, okay, wonderful. Now that we've got to this place, how much do you think would be a fair amount to charge for something like this? And, and bear in mind, we hadn't built anything yet, but we did have a very large mentorship platform in the same way that a lot of journalists will have a very big followers platform. So then people came to the price of $100. Everybody said, hey, you know what? If it was $100 a month, we wouldn't miss $100 a month. And actually, as an early stage entrepreneur, that gives enough value for us to be able to actually go out and fix all these things. So I said, great, give me $100. Okay. I, that's where my value is. I, I, I'll say, I'll have it built for you in two months' time. I'll have it built exactly what you want. Everything that you need will be there. We'll have all of the functionalities that we agreed here. These are the functionalities. Would you like to give me cash or would you like to give me credit card? Okay. Because what I want to get to is the, the, the inevitable answer from people, which is, oh, well, hold on. <laughs> hold on just a sec. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, uh, I, I need to see it first. No, you don't need to see it. If I said to you today, I have a Lamborghini parked downstairs that you can have for $100, you're going to give me $100, okay? So we're agreed on that. If I told you today that I would guarantee you you're going to be successful in your next business, you would give me $100. But 
when I just asked you every single thing that you want in your app and you just told uh, in, 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 the, in the problem that you have or the solution we're trying to provide and I've just given you all of those and then I've asked you what the price should be and you've told me $100 and now you won't give it to me. So is it that you don't trust in what I'm going to do or is it really that we haven't gone deep enough? And, that's, and that this, this area here is by far the most important area because mm -hmm. you want to do is you want to get these early adapters to go deeper than where they were in that conversation. And you don't need to be as rude as I am, but you do need to get to a place of being able to work out how many people are going to pay for whatever product you have. Or, or if it's not a pay-for-play product, maybe it's uh, a service which is going to cost nothing. How many eyeballs are you need, going to need to get there for the sponsors to be able to commit? So we had a call 10 minutes ago with Snapchat. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a call later on this afternoon with Fiverr. We are meeting with Microsoft later on this week. The conversation with all these people is exactly the same. You meet them in a networking event, you meet them in a place, and you say, I really need your help with something. I'm creating this system which I think would be a really good demographic audience for you to be a sponsor of. And what I would like to know is, firstly, would you like this audience as, as part of your audience? Do you think it's a good fit? And then they're going to go, yeah, of course, it's a great fit. I'm Microsoft. You're bringing me people. Who you're, you're building a cloud infrastructural system, which is going to have people looking to use the cloud. We're big into the cloud right now. We love it. So we go, great. You know, the sponsorship would be about four or $5,000, then we would have it. And would you pay four or $5,000? And then they're going to say, yes, as long as the audience are right. And, and all of this is that extra layer below the ground. This is up to this point. Everything in the product need, anything, everything in the market validation has all been topsoil. So this is when we dig down a little bit deeper and we say, okay, how many users do we need to have on the site for you to give me this money? And I'm not going to shoot you if you don't give it to me, but I really, really need you to be honest with me because I want to build something beautiful. And either one of two things is going to happen, either we won't build something beautiful or we won't get the amount of users or we will build something beautiful and we will get the amount of users. So just go below the topsoil and get people to commit and then build that committed audience around you so that when you start, you have 5, 10, 15, 20 really strong committed partners who believe in your vision, who feels you're a bit that, that your vision aligns with them and are in a very fluffy way agreeing to to work with you on it and so now we're at a point where not only do you have people on your side but they are giving you money to do what you need to do to to develop and to, to roll out this product and you know one of the things you sort of touched on was you know a model that isn't you know i need to send you know sell a thousand units but you know I, I need to have a thousand pairs of eyes on something instead that we're you're, you're looking to try to get an audience and then monetize it to, so, sort of to the side to the through ads or, or sponsorships or whatever. But the idea is to draw people to whatever it is you're doing, which is a model that a lot of people in, in journalism are really interested in going toward because it kind of harkens back to the old advertising model that you know you create content or something that people desire and then you kind of you don't necessarily you may or may not charge for it. But you may also just getting people there is the monetary value for you and for your backers. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's funny, and you have to be so careful with the platforms these days too. It's weird. I do consider myself a journalist, and no disrespect to journalists out there at all, but only because I feel that our role is to educate entrepreneurs, to educate them in some levels to entertain them, in some levels to make sure that the content that we provide them keeps them on the road to the journey that they had originally planned out. And to do that, you have to make sure that you just carefully and concisely put things in different areas. So we'll put content. We have a couple of uh, live shows that we do, and that's content to help entrepreneurs. We have educational content that we put up there for, for entrepreneurs as well. So I'm saying it for two reasons. The first reason is because just this is for everybody. If we're not involved with educational marketing in most companies, we're missing out on a generation who are really interested in authenticity. So even those people who are not journalists should look to try and incorporate some form of content marketing and educational marketing into whatever it is that they're providing. And secondly, everybody else, just be careful with the channels. I went to VidCon this last week, and honestly, I felt old. I, I felt old because I know that my, my weapon of choice when it comes to my type of journalism is doing a blog, maybe doing a radio show and getting on there. But I know that, you know, not just my nine-year-old son, but, but all of the kids who are at VidCon, they don't look at that stuff anymore. Like they're now, I, I don't know a 14-year-old who independently, all right, but let's say 18-year-old. I don't know an 18-year-old who independently has cable. Like I don't know any of them. They have Netflix and they have YouTube and they have Facebook mentions and they have live stream. And that's what they watch. So within what we do, we have to be very, very conscious, not just about the quality of the product that we're actually putting out there, but also the medium that we're using. And is that medium tied into the people that it's going to? We don't have an app. Why don't we have an app? Because generally speaking, 38 to 44-year-old women who are our perfect demographic, they don't use apps as much as they do websites. So we don't do enough. So really find your demographic. And when you find your demographic, find out how long it's going to take to generate the revenue that you need from it. And then make sure that you build the channels that are very specifically and tied into getting the revenue from those particular people, whether it be sponsors, whether it be partners, or whether it be um, users themselves. Yeah. In talking to business people, advertising people, uh, marketing people, they say many times the same thing that journalists say about where we're kind of at in digital media in that, you know, it doesn't matter what the platform is. You need to be platform agnostic. It's, it's whatever the content is that you're creating. But also be mindful, of, you know, this is something you just said. You know, I, I've had conversations before where, you know, I've done presentations about, uh, you know, how to do a podcast. And one of the things I say at the very beginning is, is you know, maybe the audience you're shooting for doesn't listen, listen to podcasts. So maybe that's not the ideal thing to do. Maybe you should write a blog or maybe you should, you know, do something else. But just doing something because you want to do it and, and, and hope to find an audience is probably not the best strategy for a certain kind of success. I think you can be certainly successful and happy producing something, but maybe you need to tailor your expectations of what you want to do in the end. Yeah, and you just need some tough love because starting a business is a, is a beautiful, incredible endeavor, but it's also a grueling and tiresome and exhausting and thankless pursuit. 
So you need to just make sure that what you're going to do has got the best chances of success because those first one or two, I, I have clients here. We have a crowdfunding campaign, which I don't know if you know crowdfunding, but yeah. crowdfunding yeah. Is, is, yeah, when you have a product and you use a platform uh, which is crowdsourced like Indiegogo or Kickstarter and you raise money. And I was with him last night and we're on day 43 of his campaign and he said, Brian, I'm, I'm exhausted. And he said, I don't just mean tired. I mean, I'm walking down the road and I'm forgetting where I'm walking. That's how tired I am. And that's what it is in many ways in the first two, three years of, of taking that journey to entrepreneurship. You better love it. It better be something that makes you want to get up in the morning and love what you're doing. Um, but if you're going to be that exhausted doing something like that, then do the homework first. Find out upfront if people are going to buy your product or if people are just being nice to you because you're a nice person. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Kickstarter and Indiegogo and, and crowdfunding in general. I can't tell you, you know, I, I spoke to several people about using crowdfunding to, to sponsor a product. And on the one hand, they're very grateful when it's successful and they, and they get the money to do the thing that they've dreamed to do. But then on the other hand, there's all this other stuff that they never thought they would have to do. Like, you know, oh, my God, I got, I got to put together T-shirts. I got to, you know, I got to go appear somebody and speak to, to somebody because, that, you know, they, he, he gave $5,000. I got to do this. So there's this, all this other work, this level of work that has nothing to do with the product that you, you want to build or, or create. But you suddenly committed to it because you chose this path. And I imagine in, in many ways that that's translatable to a lot of funding situations where, you know, in the deal you make, you know, there may there may be tasks and things that, that were not part of your original imagination. I think it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, think about, you know, do your research and, and find out what you're going to be doing and, and that you love it. It's true. I, I personally, I really like crowdfunding for a few reasons. Number one, you don't give away any equity in your company. At least that's rewards-based crowdfunding. That's a big thumbs up from me. Entrepreneurs give away way too much equity, way too early. And by the time they get to an exit or anywhere near it, they sometimes they have an average of 5 to 9% left of their company. Can you wow. imagine? Wow. You start off a company and then three years later, you've got 8% left. And if I could tell you stories about the people who have been taken advantage by venture capitalists, you would it would make your head spin. The official statistic is that over 60% of entrepreneurs who take venture capital backing will be fired from their own position within a two-year period. Yeah. 60%. Not six, five, seven, ten, nine. I'm talking about like you start your company. So venture capitalism, I believe in, in its current format, is destroying the American dream. And the influence of big money and entrepreneurship has turned us into a Kim Kardashian society, which is just so so horribly sad. And so what I love about Kickstarter and crowdfunding is it's the honest matrix. So you start off at the beginning, it's just you and the people who are going to get your product. And you get your family to kick you off a little bit, you get your friends involved. And if you don't do a good campaign, i.e. reaching out to influencers, reaching out to partners, reaching out to everybody you possibly can over a six-week period, you probably won't hit it. But the great thing I like about it is if you don't have a good product value proposition, you're not going to hit it either. And it's best to find that out right there and then, right at the start, 
before you have to declare bankruptcy, before you have to put your family through hell, and before you have to run with something that nobody ever needed. It also is a great learning lesson how the market. So crowdfunding for me gets a big thumbs up. I believe that if possible, everybody should try and do it because they get to do 12 months of advertising and marketing within a two to a three month period. They get to find out if their product is good or if it's just not good. They get to get a little bit of a, a head start so they can build things. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to give you the impression that I had anything against crowdfunding. I, I too think it's a really great thing. And uh, I've seen a lot of wonderful products and, and, and things come out of it. A good friend of mine did a, a did crowdfunding for a book and, uh, you know, she met her goals and she said what you did, you know, she or she did what you said. She, you know, spent those six weeks working her ass off to get people to, to sign up and she she reached her achieved her goal. But as soon as she did that, then suddenly there was this outpouring of people who, you know, that she had no contact with who were very interested in her work that yeah. said, you know, you've proven something. And, and so because you've proven something, we want to get to know you and get involved in your product. And so, yeah. so they didn't necessarily back them, but they, it opened up other opportunities beyond that. It's great. Desperation in a positive form <laughs> is, is, is a wonderful thing. I mean, we normally start crowdfunding campaigns two months before the campaign starts. Mm -hmm. And we'll say we'll, we'll make sure we have 50 to 100 people who have positively confirmed to either buying the product on the first day are they going to do an email? Are they going to do a tweet? And then we'll build in reinforcements. So on that day, literally, it's all phone calls. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, listen, you haven't actually tweeted it yet. Could you do that right now? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll do that right now. And then we have influencers and a lot of people, if it's a cause-based. And I mean, we like I said, our client, the current one that we're doing is a thing called the Veggie Dome. And it's just at the end right now, so it probably won't make much of a difference. But they have, um, they're taking vegetables out of the fridge. It's a $40 billion waste industry. It keeps it just as fresh on the kitchen table. It means that it turns eating vegetables into a habit-forming activity. Imagine what it could do for obesity, for diabetes, for everything. And it keeps them just as fresh as it did in the fridge. It was, it's an atmospheric dish made out of glass. And they've, they're just about to hit their target. It's wonderful. It's propelled them all the way through. But, um, but yeah, we started two months beforehand. And now we have Happy Cow involved. We have Ben & Jerry's involved. We have the Green Festival involved. We have businesses. None of these people would have got involved if they weren't involved on a mission to change the world with a six-week desperation time period. So tell, let's just sort of back up a, a little bit. I wanted, wanted to ask you about yourself. How did you, you know, how did you, what was the road that took you to, to Expert Dojo? How did you become an entrepreneur and how did you, you get to this place? So I, I had a property development company over in the UK many years ago, about 20 odd years ago. And then I had a business over in Australia. And then I had a consultancy business, which went from being, which we had over about 35 countries and it ended up being from many, many, many clients. We worked with Fortune 500 companies and we had many, 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 many clients. And then it turned out that we had so much business from one client that they kind of uh, took over what we were doing which was a good thing at the time, but not a smart thing in retrospect. But it went very well, and it was a good business, and it gave a, a good worldly feel as to what running businesses were like. And then I came over here, and I'd been over in America for many years before that, but I came over here to start off my next business, which was an online platform. It was a brokerage for people to be able to find office space anywhere in the world. And I came to a really interesting conclusion because I'd arrived in America. I had launched this business. I'd had previously successful businesses. 
And I surrounded myself with the great innovation of everybody else out there with dreams and vision and creativity looking to launch their own business. And I noticed everybody failing. And I mean everybody on one side. And then I looked at everybody who had money. So anybody who was a trust fund baby, anybody who went to Stanford. And and there's nothing – I went to a good school and I come from a good place. And this isn't in any way disparaging against these schools. But I realized really early – that entrepreneurship is no longer for the ordinary man to be able to start and build their business. It's a stacked system which benefits the very few. And every single large company that we have today is started and founded by an Ivy League co-founder who's been funded by people they know extremely well. And for the average American to be able to try and achieve that, it's not possible. So I wanted to try and create a place where we evened up the playing field where we just explained how the rules worked. We stopped people maybe going for goals which were unattainable and we focused them on goals which could really impact and change and help them achieve what they needed to achieve in life. And we've been going a couple of years. We love it. We've got really high success rates. We've had government backing the SBDC down here. The the business council folks are aligned with us. We work with the mayor down here in California every month. We've got board seats on the local chamber. And our success rates are about five, six times higher than the local market. So we're pretty happy. And, and your, your customer is just somebody who has an idea or a product and they, they want to launch it? Or is it, or is it going for the other end, you, the people who want to get involved in a business somehow? Um, our customers are anybody who we can help find the truth in early stage entrepreneurship. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of people who have ideas which are super ideas and they're nice and they're great and they've been inspired because their, you know, 12 month old baby poked them in the eye and they suddenly came up with an eye guard. Actually, I should trademark that. (laughs) But they came up with an idea which is just very personal to them and it seems fun and it seems good, but it's not really solving a, a problem for a sufficient amount of people that it's actually going to make a difference in their lives. So um, success for me is convincing someone like that, that they should not go ahead with the business in its current format. And when I say me, we have hundreds of coaches. So these are all people who are experienced within entrepreneurship. And we always bring people to the same place. We don't say that's a bad idea, that's a good idea. We force them to go through the market validation process so they reach that conclusion themselves. So somebody not going ahead with a doomed business, that's a big thumbs up. Uh, Somebody who's got an idea that we can help steer them towards an impact business or a profit-making business rather than a non-profit-making hobby, that's a big success. As someone who's already started running their business and maybe they need help in marketing or they need help in branding or they need help in something else, again, another area as well, as long as it's early stage or pre-early stage, We love that area because that's the birthplace of creativity. Once somebody's already got a business, they're doing well, they're making over a million dollars a year in revenue, we're no good to those people. We don't even deal with them. So one of the things, you you talked at the very beginning about uh, that you didn't like failure. One of the things that that was sort of to be a a popular phrase not too long ago, and maybe they still say it, is, you know, fail quickly. Do you see value in that? No. It's awful. We live in this terrible, awful world of immediacy. We oppose, there's a philosophy out there which is called lean startup. And lean startup, it says some good things, but the majority of it says, don't worry about business plans. 
you know, business plans are based on customer opinions and they don't know what they want. Don't worry about multiple marketing channels. Build what they call the minimum viable product quickly. Get it out to the market. Fail quickly. I think it's the equivalent to building light bulbs, which are going to stop working after a year, as opposed to the ones we had that lasted 20 years. Our suits fall off you after a six to a nine month period. I really worry about just the, the flippant and the flimsy and the immediacy and the way that we think about building everything these days. But it worries me way more in business because if somebody in business, I don't know if you've got family or friends or people that you're close to, but I can tell you everybody that we deal with that is involved in a family, when they make that decision to be an entrepreneur, they are going to put strain on their family, which will more than likely cause divorce. More than likely. You take a poll of all entrepreneurs and you track their journey with their first wife. No, I'm still, I'm married, by the way. <laughs> I don't want to make it, no, I don't know why she's still with me, but she's still with me. Uh, but most entrepreneurs, they just can't make it through because you turn into a different person. While you work for someone else, you're in the matrix. It's a good matrix. It's a safe matrix. That matrix doesn't turn you into an unreasonable or an unrational person. When you don't have enough money to pay your rent on the 25th of the month, it turns you into a different person. It turns you into a different person with your kids and with your wife and with your friends and with your family and with everyone else. And sure, look, we can take Conan the, bar the barbarian attitude and say, that stuff will make you hard, will make you tougher. But isn't it better to learn up front? I mean, isn't it better to take the education system that we were supposed to have, which is learn? It would be like a doctor saying, hey, you know what? I just want to make sure that if I'm not good, if I'm not good at the appendix, I find out quick. You know, <laughs> we just we just get that stuff out of the way real fast and like we can deal with it. And, that, and then and then after four or five people, I'll make sure I'm really rock solid on appendix. <laughs> like those first four people are not going to be very happy. No. So no, don't fail. Just don't fail at all. Learn what you need to learn. Surround yourself with great coaches. And then if you do fail, it's not because you've built something awful and that the probability was that you were going to fail anyway. Spend the time at the beginning. Do the hard work. Well, I think it's a great, great place for us to end. Thank you, uh, Brian. Um, and people can find out about Expert Dojo at expertdojo.com, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, come on anytime. There's a bunch of free resources there, everything from from videos on how to start your business all the way through. To, there's, there's so much stuff. And also everybody can also contact the rest of the community. It's a peer-to-peer -peer community where everybody offers advice and help. I, I don't use the word for free because I shouldn't because it's not a good word, but I would say – you offer your advice and help as an alternative currency. So your advice and help has got value, but it means you can get a lot of the information you need to avoid failure right there and then. So yeah, come to expertdojo.com. We'd always love to, to see you. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for talking to me. This has been a, a fascinating conversation. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure, Michael. Take care. Take care. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? 
Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.